FatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the VatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg. And for the first time in this show's history, I get to talk about a Pac-12 win for the Oregon State football team. As all of you surely know, the Beavers went on the road last weekend and took down UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Corvallis Gazette Times sports editor Steve Gress, my former boss, was in Pasadena to witness Oregon State's 48-31 victory. And Steve and I had a great conversation about the game and uh, as well as kind of the outlook for the Oregon State men's and women's basketball teams. Steve and I, as typical, chatted for about 40 minutes. So uh, let's just go ahead and uh, get right to our talk. Um, As always, everyone, thanks for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast. Here is Steve Gress from the Corvallis Gazette Times. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, Steve, uh, first off then, how was your trip to Los Angeles? Had you ever been to the Rose Bowl before? I had not. So that was the first time, which was pretty exciting to... uh to have that opportunity to to check out a place like the Rose Bowl. I, I actually walked over from my hotel, so through this really cool little neighborhood and uh, enjoyed looking at some of the houses there and then trying to see how much they're all cost. And I like, realized that's <laughs> I'm never going to live in Los Angeles or Pasadena or anywhere in Southern California. You know, it's funny. I've been to Northern California and the Bay Area, I don't know, probably a dozen or so times, maybe even more. But I've actually only been to Southern California, I think, twice and you know neither trip i went down there uh, included the rose bowl obviously and that's always kind of been you know for, i think for most football fans or pac-12 people that grew up out west i think that's always kind of a dream to check that out so i'll definitely have to make sure to happen that's you know make that happen sometime because I, I really do want to see a game at the rose bowl well you know it's interesting too you're down on the field and the turf you know you're so everything's like artificial turf now you know and stuff like that so you go down there and have the real grass and it's just really it was just a totally different field. It was just, it felt like special. So, um, and they, they were mowing it afterwards. You get these little strands of, of the lawn that, you know, that are the grass that's cut up there. It's just so, so, so I don't know, why are you mowing the lawn? But they keep it looking really nice. That was, that was a really cool thing too. It's funny. They actually, they said during the, the telecast, I'm sure this is true. I just hadn't thought about it, that that was the only game Oregon State's going to play on grass all year. That's just ah. kind of, that. that's kind of where we're at these days. It is pretty interesting. Yeah, I didn't even yeah, I didn't even think to think, you know, look at that, but as you start looking at the schedule, yeah, I mean they they played on turf in Hawaii and the good Wazoo and Cal and oh they got Arizona. Is Arizona turf now? That's a good question. I don't know. They just said that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a I mean, when I was there in whatever year I went, way long time ago, 2010 or something, I think it was grass. So it, it may have changed. So that's kind of funny. Colorado, I believe is still grass, correct? I don't know. I've never been there. So. Oh, man. I'm really, this is bad. You, you think I would be able to know which stadium. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been to, yeah, I've been to call. I'm pretty sure Folsom is still grass, but I, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah, anyway, then the Oregon State football team, just like sounds like you did too, had plenty of fun at the Rose Bowl crafting, you know, really quick 21-0 lead en route to that 48-31 victory. I guess, Steve, kind of what were your main takeaways from uh, what was Oregon State's first road win of the season? Um, I thought the way they started the football game, um, especially offensively, they've they've done it every time they've gotten the ball, they've gone down and and scored on their opening drive there. 
um, I believe. So, I mean, that's not to be surprised, but I, I just thought the way they came out after, well, other than Stanford the, the week before, obviously. Um, but they had, um, they moved the ball really well, which they needed to do to get started. Uh, so that was nice to see. And then to see the defense uh, come up. I mean, I don't blame Chip Kelly for going for it on fourth and one. I mean, what what do you got to lose anyways? You're one and four and, um, you know, might but, as well test, but the, that test early, the defense. But that early I mean, in the game, first possession at your own 34, I don't know. I think that is a really risky move, especially uh, when that happens. For sure. No, I'm, I'm not saying it was a gimme, but I think you're, you you want to go out there and say, hey, football team, uh, we think we can run on these guys, so we're going to try and do it. And, and Oregon State rose to the challenge. You know, they came out and made a play, which they've been getting in the backfield a lot more this season. So um, that was nice. And then to see the offense score and then the little drop kick on the onside thing, you know, get the ball and to go up 21 nothing. I mean, it was like we almost sat up there six minutes in. Like there's still 54 minutes left in this game, but it almost felt over in a sense, which is weird to say an Oregon State team that's been, you know, struggled to put together four full quarters. But um, still, it was. that was that was just really impressive to see all three phases in the first six minutes make big contributions to jumping out to such an early lead. Yeah, no, I mean that was it. It really was pretty astounding. I mean, I think a lot of people kind of just settled in, you know, I, some at the game, a lot of people just on their couches watching, and, and it was pretty wild how quickly it all unfolded. I mean, just six minutes into game action, and honestly, in a weird way, it almost felt like less time. It was just how quickly the Beavers scored, how quickly that UCLA possession unraveled, and then just get get the ball right back, immediately score, and then the wild kind of cool, was it legal, was it not drop kick, kick, you know, we're, we're not 100% sure on that, but to immediately go up 21-0 like that, I know you said it felt like the game was almost over. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to say that for an Oregon <laughs> State team that, that, that has struggled so much the last few years, but I think I was almost kind of there with you. It just felt like against a UCLA team that, that's really been sputtering and just the way that, honestly, Oregon State has been playing better than its record. It almost kind of did feel like the game was over six minutes in, and that's just a really, really crazy kind of crazy thing to see. Yeah, you, you know, you knew they were going to need to do some more things. You knew UCLA could score a lot. I mean, I think everybody started thinking when they, you know, after halftime, like, oh, no, here, this could be, you know, the Wazoo game all over again. But in that one, so many things had to go UCLA's way. And they had a kick return for a touchdown, I believe, and a punt return for a touchdown. And Washington State decided to turn the ball over 8,000 times, you know, yeah. in the last 20 minutes of that game. And that's one thing Oregon State hasn't done this year is turn the ball over. I mean, one turnover in five games is really impressive. Um, and so when you're not going to hand the other team the football, you know, then you have a good opportunity to control the clock and do stuff. And and I thought it was interesting, too. Like you, you saw even UCLA, I think their first touchdown drive was like seven or eight minutes or something. So it wasn't like they were going to go up and down the field, it felt like. And so if you can, you know, if you're going to give up seven points and make them take eight minutes off the clock and you're up. 21 I, that's a pretty good trade-off I think if you if you had to trade off for scoring so it didn't look like UCLA was going to be able to to hit a lot of big plays uh, on Saturday just from the, the a few early drives and and that allows you hey, if the game shortened you don't have to score as much and and so I mean it turned out that scoring wasn't really an issue for Oregon State on Saturday night though I mean, you mentioned the turnover thing, and that really is that, that really is the reason, basically the only reason why UCLA came back and won that, that Washington State game. And like you said, turning the football over is just something Oregon State doesn't do. I mean, you're looking at Jake Luton now on, on the season, 14 touchdowns, zero interceptions. And I, I think you can argue Jake probably had his best career game you know, in college, throwing for, what, five touchdowns, winning Pac-12 player of the week. It was probably a really good 
it, it was just a, a really good performance at a time when I think Oregon State as a whole really needed to get you know that spark to get that win to kind of get things really rolling. And Jake Luton, the senior quarterback, he was there to really deliver it for the Beers, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, and it was a four-quarter deal. I think, you know, if you look yeah. back to Colorado last year when he came in in the second half and led that fantastic comeback, that might have been the best half of football he's played. You know, Colorado, you talk about a full game and what he was able to do. And and some of those big plays, you know, I mean, you find another guy's getting Colby Taylor early to get him going to get down there. You know Isaiah Hodgins is always going to be there. But then finding Tegan Catoriano for that touchdown right after that drop kick, you know, first play, he was a guy, first career you know, touchdown, only his third career catch in a, in a little over a season, you know, and then hitting that bomb to Tyjon Lindsay on that third and two or third and three or whatever it was from the 47. Um, that was actually cool from my vantage point up in the press box. As soon as they rushed up there and they, they you know, did the little play action, I looked up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's wide open. And I just said, like, <laughs> Wide open, <laughs> and as soon as Jake threw it, it's like it was almost like Tyjon. It felt like he had to wait for it, and as soon as he caught, it was like you know he was in. So that was a fun play to see, kind of develop from upstairs, um, and to see how wide open Tyjon was. And so you're making those types of plays, and and just coming through, and a couple of third down or fourth down conversions too. Um, and he played really well. And that that last drive that they had, you know, was sensational. I mean, it's a big third down catch to gets a third down pass to Isaiah Hodgins to keep that that drive going. And they were able to just salt it away with some running. And I mean, he closed it out with the with the wheels he showed there getting to the outside. I mean, he ran right past me. I was on the sideline right there. And I was like, oh, there goes Jake. Oh, he's in for a touchdown. Um, you know, that was an impressive drive to close it out. But yeah, he definitely I, I would agree. It's probably his best overall all around game. Um, that I've seen him play, and it's it's nice to see him having that chance to to be healthy. You know, he's definitely been healthier all season, and he's, he talked about that in fall camp and and how much that's helped him. And and to see him kind of put stuff together, he's not had to win games for him. He's just not he's not a game manager. Not saying that, but he hasn't had to go out and and do a lot. Where last year he felt like you got to go and you know make some plays if you're going to win because the defense wasn't playing as well. But I think now he's just doing a good job of of leading this team and doing what's needed and taking what's there and finding open receivers. You know, when when maybe that first read isn't there. You mentioned Oregon State's last offensive drive of the game that really kind of sealed it. I mean, 14 plays, 75 yards, used up almost seven minutes of time. That was kind of the exact drive that I think that Coach Smith, Coach Lindgren, that they really wanted to see from the team to, you know, when you're up 10 in that situation late, can you go on a lengthy drive, chew up clock, and put the game away? And, and the Beavers were able to do that. And then on the other side, I weirdly kind of thought that the defensive series right at the end of the game was also somewhat of a big deal for the Beavers because, you know, obviously the win was already clinched. But UCLA, you could tell they really wanted to punch it in at the end of the game and kind of end things on a positive note. And we saw UCLA quarterback Austin Barton. He had four pretty good cracks mm -hmm. from the red zone to get that in. And the Beavers secondary, you know, held up. And I, I thought there was a lot of celebrating from the team for, you know, holding UCLA out of the end zone in that situation. I just I don't know. For some reason, to me, it felt like that was kind of a, a, a low key, kind of a big deal and just a really, really good way for Oregon State to seal off the win. Yeah, I mean, both sides of it, you know, and it was uh, it was it was good to see how they were able to take all that time off and 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 to finish a game. I think even on both sides, I think that's the 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 big part you know maybe that's how the defense felt too um you know they finished they didn't give up something at the end you know last week against Stanford I know the kickoff put them in a bad you know kickoff return put them in a bad spot but they weren't able to finish that game and they allowed Stanford to get in for a chip shot field goal to win the game now you know the game wasn't on the line Saturday obviously but hey they want to show 
we're not going to allow you to do what you want to do, even in garbage time. We want to be able to to make plays. And because in the, if they're in a situation now, if it's a seven point game this weekend against Utah, they've they've gone through, they've done that. They've learned how to stop a team. And I think that's what was important about that closing drive, too, is they learned how to close out a game offensively, doing the things that needed to, you know, to to make sure that there wasn't going to be any kind of a comeback. You know, Artivas Pierce had, had another really good game running the football, uh, 21 carries, 119 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, it's I think it's just pretty clear that whatever Jamar Jefferson's dealing with, he's just not really that close to 100 percent right now. Do you do you think what what why do you think that Jamar has continued? I guess he didn't get that many carries against UCLA, but it just seems like with Artavis and, and with B.J. Baylor and Calvin Tyler, I'm not really sure that it's in Oregon State's best interest or Jamar's best interest to have him out there running the ball when he's pretty clearly not 100%. I guess kind of what, what are your thoughts on what, what Oregon State's been doing with Jamar, just kind of having him out there, getting some carries when, when it's just pretty obvious at this point that some of the other guys offer more? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you want to give him an opportunity to go if he can go. And and, and talking with Brian Lindgren yesterday, I'm not sure. I mean, we don't get to be at practice, so I don't know these things. I don't think he's practiced a whole lot the last couple of weeks. And I think you yeah. can see that, that he's just not in that you know, being on top of his game type of a situation there. So, I mean, they want to, if he's out there and he's able to go, you want him out there. I mean, he, he's explosive too. Um, it's nice. You've got two guys and, and so they don't feel the need to have to have him out there. Um, but they wanted to give him a, a couple of opportunities to test that ankle, that foot, whatever it is. I don't know if his ankle, his foot is what we've been told and, and to see how that's responded. And I don't think it's responded very well, obviously the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, but I think they want to try and give him a go and see. Maybe, you know, you get out there and your juices are flowing and things go well and you can provide a big spark. Uh, but I think they've done a good job of recognizing, too, hey, Jamar's not himself, so we're going to ride, you know, AP for as, as long as we can. I know they want to get one guy kind of going and in, and in rhythm, and AP's been that guy the last couple of weeks. And he's really, you know, he's risen to the occasion. I mean, he was the starter you know, last season before he got hurt. And so um, it's not that much of a surprise of what he's able to do. Um, and I, and he's definitely provided a big spark for them the last couple of weeks. And I, and I would think, you know, the same thing. He may wind up getting the start this week. I don't know. I don't, I don't, not sure he, that, that Jefferson practiced yesterday, just kind of taking that from what I heard uh, from Coach Lindgren. And so if he's not able to, you know, practice much this week, I'd expect AP to get the start and, and, and to see maybe Jamar comes in, gets a couple carries, series two, three, four, somewhere in there just to kind of test that foot and see how he's doing. I got to be completely honest, you know, the last week or so on Twitter, there was a lot of Isaiah Hodgins, Blitnikoff buzz going around. And I, I was not taking it super seriously just from the standpoint of, you know, when you're a one in three football team, it's really hard to see that teams get, you know, national awards for, from those types of situations. But with this performance that, that Isaiah had on Saturday, you know, 10 catches, 123 yards, three more touchdowns and his crazy numbers for the season are do, do we need to start taking this Isaiah Hodgins Blitnikoff thing a little bit more seriously? I mean, just he, he really obviously is one of the best receivers in the country and the numbers are starting to be pr pretty, you know, inarguable. Yeah, as a Blitnikoff Award winner voter, I mean, I think you have to. <laughs> you have to look at it. Um, I, You know, it's fun. I mean, these things are always fun to talk about who's going to be where they're like, let's vote for him now. Like, well, who cares? We're not even halfway through a season. Exactly. What's it going to look like? You know, I mean, nothing. I mean, Isaiah's had a fantastic start to the season, and he's been huge. And, I mean, they, I think I saw a stat, 19 of his last 20 catches have been for a first down or a touchdown. I mean, he doesn't just make a catch. 
and get four yards. I mean, he's picking up nine, 10, 12 yards, a, a, a pop. And, and every one of those catches is big for Oregon state, obviously. And it's been a nice start and, you know, we'll have to wait and see how others kind of play out. And, and as you know, Oregon state goes up against in back-to-back weeks, two really good defenses in Utah and California, if he can duplicate that or replicate that and, and or build off of that and have big games and make plays, then I think you start really looking like, all right, well, here's a guy I really want to consider, you know, in, in my top 10 or, or whatever, you know, as you break it down, like here's guys. Okay. We've seen, we've got a, a more of a, of a body of work against a quality opponent or quality defenses to see what you're able to do. Um, Cause there's some pretty good wide receivers out there on, on some other teams too. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see, I mean, I, you know, you, you can do all the hype, you know, whether it's Jerry Judy at Alabama, cause you know, he could go number one or number two or number three in the draft. And you look at that, you know, some of those guys, I mean, they got so many receivers at Alabama. I mean, how's it hard? It's hard to, to vote for one of them just because, you know, they've got so many of them and, and yeah, you know, the only sure. guy, I mean, I mean, Hodge has been the main guy and he's still able to produce whether you're getting double teamed or, t- or, or, you know, the opposition is trying to take him out of, of, of you know, the, the game plan, so to speak. And so, but I mean, it's, it's been a great start to the season for him. And, um, you know, if he continues this way, yeah, I think there's serious consideration, um, you know, to, to look at him toward the end of the season, but I'll give it a, a, I don't know when the next break cut down is and stuff, but I mean, you know, at some point, you know, you start to look at those things and take that much more of the season into consideration. But right now, I mean, shoot, why not? I mean, he's made a a strong case to be right up there in the top five. That, that last touchdown he had that out and up, I, I actually felt bad for the UCLA defensive back. I mean, that guy had just absolutely no chance of covering it. It's it's crazy to watch how much Hodgins has developed as a route runner over the course of his career. And I realize some of these comparisons aren't super fair to him. But, you know, when I watch the NFL on Sundays, he, he almost seems like a cross between Mike Evans and Michael Thomas, just with his physical abilities, the not burner speed, but precise route running, enormous catch radius, really good hands. I mean, I see so much Michael Thomas in Isaiah Hodgins and people forget Michael Thomas was not a first round draft pick. He was taken in the second round and it was yeah. largely because he wasn't a burner at Ohio State. He didn't have that great top end speed, just like Isaiah Hodgins is not going to be running by people in the Pac-12 and in the NFL. But he does literally everything else at an elite level. And he's just he's really an incredible talent. I think he's made so much progress since he came to Oregon State and credit to him for working so hard. And I think uh, once this season's over. Uh, I think he's going to have an interesting decision to make whether he uh, decides to go pro or come back to Oregon State. Yeah, that'll be something we'll we'll pay attention to here as we get closer to the end of the season. But yeah, you're right on that out and up. I was uh, that that move was I actually got to watch that. So I actually saw those last couple touchdowns. It was kind of fun to to see them develop from up there. And I mean, it's like it was a great move. I mean, he definitely turned the DB around all over. I think <laughs> like a a three sixty or a seven twenty maybe even in there. And it was just like it's just like all right now, just loft the ball right to him, and it's an easy score. But you know, he does stuff too. He'll go across the middle. He's not afraid to take a hit. You know, we think about kind of the circusy catches or the the highlight reel things that he does, and those are great. But I mean, it's the rest of the stuff that he does. He could be a good possession receiver too. So um, I think there's a lot of, of value in his skill set, and I think you know. It can play at the next level whenever that ends up being. 
What's your sense on how uh, the fans and media down in the Los Angeles area are kind of reacting to the, the Chip Kelly era so far? Because, you know, the, the Bruins are struggling, uh, struggling much more in Chip's second year than the Beavers are under Jonathan Smith. And they're really, other than the youth movement, there really aren't too many signs that things are going to turn around anytime quickly down there. No, I mean, I mean, their boo birds were out really early. And, and I think, you know, some of the stuff like we talked about that fourth down call, I mean, it obviously didn't work. So then, you know, you're going to be louder in your disappointment than you are in your excitement if it works because, hey, you just picked up a first down and you better have at that point. I'm not going to cheer for that. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't it, – it is. It's interesting. I know that they were playing a backup quarterback, you know, but, I mean, they just – they couldn't stop Oregon State. And Oregon State's got a good – offense obviously but you know you've got to be able to slow teams down and i mean i think you're right um oregon state looks way better in jonathan smith's second year than what ucla looks in chip kelly's second year and um i I don't know i don't know what has chip kelly done since he left oregon absolutely nothing you know burns out in san francisco i don't think he really had much of a shot there you know with the eagles you know what do they do nothing and then he comes back here into college and you can make excuses left and right, but you're in, it's a great place to, to go to school. Uh, why can't you get some of those top-notch talent to come down there and do stuff and then coach them up and, and have them play? So, um, and, and I know the crowd was announced at 48,000 and, and I don't think there was anywhere close to that. I mean, I know it's a big stadium and it looked really empty. Um, so maybe, maybe half full is 48,000 and you're just not used to that. But I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of buzz and, and everything there. And, you know, and, and so I don't know how long, I don't know what I, you know, I don't know what his contract is and where UCLA goes, but I mean, I don't think you can be that irrelevant. Um, and, when you're UCLA for, for much longer, uh, they need to go. And, I mean, they tried to make the splashy hire, you know, with chip Kelly and well, they lost. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, back to Oregon state for a bit. Yeah. There's, you know, been a lot of talk obviously over the last few days that the Beavers really just a player two away from being a four and one football team instead of two and three. And, you know, I, I do think that there's uh there's, there's a lot of truth in that, but you know, Oregon State, you know, didn't make necessary plays really late and that Stanford, certainly Hawaii game is too. Stanford got in the big hole and kind of fell apart at the very end as well. And then just looking at the schedule next set, well, basically for the rest of the way, it's it's going to get a lot tougher beginning with this weekend's home matchup against Utah. I guess, Steve, what, what do you think are you know, the kind of the realistic expectations as Oregon State closes the season with games I, i'd say what seven of the top eight seven of the top nine teams in the pac-12 ba- basically all of the top pac-12 teams uh, are left on oregon state schedule the beavers are gonna have to play basically all of them so it's a tough stretch to end the season for sure yeah no it's you know that's the thing where you're right i think you know we debated this in office with with jim day you know a little bit yesterday i'm like yeah they could be you know four and one they're not you know they didn't make those plays yeah um, I think if you go back and you replayed those games, you know, not what you can't do. I mean, they, they could win those games and, you know, yeah, play here or play there. But yeah, Hawaii, I mean, they look great in the first half and then just couldn't do anything. And I, I think they're at a different point now where that wouldn't happen again against a, a Hawaii team. Um, I don't know if there's, you know, if they win another game because it wins are, it's, it's tough to win games. You know, you've got to make plays. And some of those may be possibly winnable games are on the road and it's harder to win on the road. Um and, and so, yeah, you're right. I, I think going up these next two weeks, offensively, we're going to learn a little bit about Oregon State or a lot more. Like, are they that good? Are they, you know, 
30, what are they averaging like 34, 35 a game now? 37, so, I believe. 37, okay. So, you know, are, are they really that good against good defenses? So what does what do they do against Utah? If they can put 28, 30 points on the board against Utah, I mean, I think you should be extremely happy, and I think that happens. You got a good chance to win. You know, you go to Cal, if you can put 20 points on the board, you know, I mean, that's a Cal team that, I mean, I know Oregon's been struggling offensively, but they've got Justin Herbert, who's a, you know, top NFL pick and, you know, other guys, and they they haven't really done a whole lot. They only got 17 points. I know they turned the ball over quite a bit, but that's an opportunistic Cal defense. But can, you know, can Cal score a lot of points on Oregon State's defense, which seems weird to say, you know, after last year, but I think this defense is slowly getting better. I know that it, you know, give up 31 points last week doesn't look like it, but in the course of games they make enough plays to 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 keep them in games or to give them that opportunity even if the offense isn't going um and so yeah these these next few weeks i I don't know we're looking at it like what are possible wins you know um and and it sounds scary sounds strange to say but i mean why can't they beat washington at home the way washington has looked on the road you know and in in a couple of games and especially last week against Stanford. I mean, if you can be physical and take them out, maybe, you know, going to Washington state, who knows what the state of that program is going to be like there. Maybe that's a win. I think Cal can be a win if they play well enough there. It's, but those, you know, but, but again, those could all be losses too. It's, it'll be interesting to kind of see if they can continue to put a solid effort together for all four quarters in each of these games. And if so, I think they'll have an opportunity to win some of them. Um, will they, you know, it depends, but you're right. This is the, the easy part of the schedule, quote unquote, easy part is, is probably over. And now what, you know, and I don't think anybody expects UCLA to be much of anything the rest of the season. And so how big of a win is that? Well, Hey, they won. They need to, they may finish with two wins and be a, a whole lot better football team than what they were last year. So I know fans want wins, but, if you're looking at progress that's being made, they're making it right now. And they're, I think it, they're on the right track to eventually get over that hump and, and win a lot of games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you made a lot of really good points. I mean, the progress is just undeniable on both sides of the ball. The offense is better. The defense is substantially better. And I mean, just looking at the if you look at the pure stats from the UCLA game, giving up 492 yards and 31 points. I mean, that that's honestly kind of misleading because the Bruins were playing catch up the entire way. They popped one big touchdown and just watching from, from the eye test, Oregon State's defense, particularly that front seven it is just significantly better than it was a season ago and two years ago. There's just no denying that. And then, yeah, I mean, the upcoming schedule is, is certainly tough, but with the way the Pac-12 this is is this year, I think it's an incredibly balanced mm-hmm. league. I, I think it's actually I, I've put this online a couple of times. I, I think it's an underrated conference. I think the Pac-12 is actually pretty good this year. Now there there might not be a single top ten team in the conference, I, which is a really interesting thing to think about. But you know, teams one through ten. I, maybe one through 11 even. I mean, I think these are some really good, solid teams, and I'm just not sure on a game-to-game basis how much difference there really is between your Washingtons, your Oregons, your Utahs, and your Arizonas, and your Oregon States, and your Stanfords. And I think we've seen that where some of the teams that we perceive to be not quite as good in the conference have gone toe-to-toe with some of the top teams and even knocked them off like what we saw just this last week with Stanford against Washington. So, you know, I mean, looking at the schedule, it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon State finishes 2-10. and 
But it also wouldn't surprise me if it's 15 degrees on November 16th and Arizona <laughs> State comes in and doesn't yeah. play well. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Jacob Eason and those receivers can't get anything going against Oregon State. And again, maybe another bad weather game in November. We don't know what Washington State's going to look like. I mean, same with really Arizona and with Cal's offense right now with the backup quarterback and Monster. He's Monster is not a guy that's going to be able to throw the ball over Oregon State secondary. So there, there definitely are possibilities for wins down, you know, down the stretch. I, I don't think that we can say any of them are necessarily likely. I don't think Oregon State is going to have more than a 50% chance to win any of these games. But I think I'd be kind of surprised if the Beavers don't pick up at least one more win down the stretch. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. I mean, I, I think they even get two. You know, if they they get four and eight, I think you know it'd be a a, a huge thing compared to last year, and not, and not just the winning a couple more games, but the way they've played. And as long as they continue to to improve and 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 keep there. But you mentioned that the, the front seven. I mean, this thing like Jeremy Reichner tears his ACL in camp, and so he's not there on the D line. And then Addison Gums goes out with an with an ACL. You know, those are two guys that you expect to to be a part of all of that. And they're not even there, and they're able to kind of do this. Last year, you have those things, and man, the depth on that in that area was just not non-existent, and and that's what made them struggle so much. Is they just couldn't get anybody. I mean, you can't even get guys in to give you a blow in a game. You're just out there so much, and so that's the the nice thing to see. And I think you know you were talking about that 448 yards, or whatever. If you take away that 75 yard one, I mean, they were down yeah. to under five under five yards a, a play and they had like 88 plays. So they made them work hard for it. You know, they made them go drive the length of the field. And, um, you know, I mean, when you're, when you can do that now, if you just get off the field on one of those plays or those third down plays or fourth down plays, and that's where they really need to, to improve is getting that, making that next step of getting off on third down or getting off on fourth down, you know, it happening at Stanford too, a couple of third, I think like a third 11 and third and 12. And they went with some screens and both times picked up the first down and led to, it led to a touchdown. And so if you can overcome that and give fewer opportunities for the other team to score, which I think is the next step defensively for them is to make those and get off the field in those, especially the third and long ones, um, you know, that's going to, that's going to bode well for their ability to get a W in the win, you know, in that column. Let's uh, let's shift gears and talk a little basketball to close this out. The the Pac-12 preseason polls came out earlier this week. Uh, Oregon State women were picked to finish third, and the men's seventh. Uh, I guess Steve, what what did you think about both of those rankings? I think the third is right where everybody would would expect them to be. And you look at all the other early preseason, you know, polls that magazines and stuff have put out for for women's basketball. And I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Oregon is the best team. I think they're the best team in the country going into the season. Um, I mean, that they've got crazy amount of talent in their starting lineup, picking up Mignon Moore, the grad transfer from USC, you know, and having Sabrina Inescu back. I mean, they're going to be loaded and very difficult to beat. Stanford has a great, you know, recruiting class coming in. They lose a couple of players, but, you know, they should be strong again. And I think Oregon State right there at third is in a good spot. I think there's some question marks you know, on Cat Tudor's health and when she's going to be able to be out there or if she's going to be able to be out there and, and how do the freshmen kind of acclimate into here and, and how they maybe change some things around with the added height, you know, of what they're going to do. But I think third's a great spot for them. Um, you know, and then UCLA will be right there probably in the fourth spot. That would be my top four. And I had Arizona State and Arizona in there. I flipped Arizona to five and Arizona State to six. I'm I'm buying – I'm buying Adia Barnes at Arizona and Ari McDonald and what that team is going to be able to do this year coming off the WNIT championship. Um, so that's my top six. And so 
just different in, in switching five and six. And then the rest of it, you know, I think there's some good teams. I Utah could probably be pretty good. I want to see how improved Washington is. Um, and, and what USC and Cal have with some of the turmoil, well, turmoil at USC that took place. And then, uh, Cal with the new coach kind of where that is. And, and then Colorado and Washington state. So, um, I, I thought it was a, a, the right spot for the, the top six really. Um, and after that, it, it's kind of, you can pick and choose who goes where and that stuff will play out through the course of the season. So, um, on the men's side, I, I don't follow it as closely. So, um, you know, I think uh, seventh, it'd be interesting. I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of see how those teams play. I mean, you know, Oregon's picked up a lot of players, to, you know, and what's Washington going to look like this year? Arizona, with with everything that's gone on there, you know, I mean, I, Oregon State had a pretty solid year last year and, and won some games and, you know, obviously getting the sweep of, of Oregon in the Civil War and, and we're right there. So um, I think seventh may be low for them. I, I think they would feel that for sure. Um, but they're going to have to do it on the, you know, on the court again this year and, and be in the running and, and, you know, hopefully for them, they can, they can get up there and maybe move up a little bit right there. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty much in agreement. I mean, from the women's side, I don't think there really was a lot to talk about just kind of with the fact that so many of the top teams returned a lot. I think third, it makes a lot of sense for the Beavers, but yeah, when I saw in the preseason men's poll that the Beavers were picked seventh, I, I was kind of surprised just because, you know, you have, Trace Tinkle back. I think very realistic chance he'll be the Pac-12 player of the year. And Ethan Thompson and Kyler Kelly, in my mind, I think those are two guys that could easily be all-conference selections. It's like, I, I know the Beavers you know, kind of fell apart a little bit down the stretch last year, but they still finished fourth in the conference and returned most of that team. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know... The, the Pac-12 is just is probably going to be very balanced, and you can see that just because I think what five different teams received the first place vote in this game. Yeah. But, but still, to me, seventh, I think seventh is too low for Oregon State. I think if the Beavers finish seventh in the Pac-12 this year, I think that'll be seen as definitely a disappointing season for Wayne Tinkle. Yeah, I agree. I agree, one hundred percent. And and like it almost might be like football, where everybody eats each other up, and True. you know, you kind of have that. And so I don't know, if, you know, if you. If you've got the, there's no clear cut, obviously, you know, you said like five teams with first place votes. So, I mean, it could be kind of crazy there. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, you start going like, okay, well, where do you move people above and there and there? And, and you know, um, it, it's always, these things are always tough. You don't see what kind of chemistry some of the n- new players come in with and everything. But you, I, I think you're right. If Oregon State were to finish seventh in the conference, I think most fans, you know, would feel disappointed with there. And I know the, the coaches and players would obviously feel disappointed if you finish seventh you know, after, after last season and being close and, you know, that might be kind of interesting to see if this team now can take that next step of maybe some of those games you lose that you, you, you don't feel like you shouldn't have lost if you can pull those out and win. And, you know, I think if they can do that, then they've got a shot to be right up there in that top four again. You had a, you had a really nice story on cat tutor that posted earlier this week. And I think me kind of like a lot of people, I always sort of assumed that she'd be back at her roughly near 100%, you know, for the start of the season after her January ACL injury. It, it just seems like, you know, people recover uh, just so much quicker these days from, from that type of injury. But, you know, from reading your story, it sounds like Kat may still have a little bit of work to do kind of on the mental side of things before she returns to the court, huh? Yeah, you know, and I think she hasn't been able to do any physical drills. She's just done shooting drills, and she was going to play with, uh, some one-on-one with uh, Jonas Chatterton, one of the assistant coaches, this week, as was she said was her plan. And so, you know, she's got to get out there. I think she, I think she feels like the knee is is okay, but I think that mental side of it, like 
you know, how do I do these things? What do I got to do? What if somebody runs into me? It's the part that, I mean, I don't, I don't understand it because I've never had to go through it. And, uh, and I didn't play sports, you know, and at that level at all, you know, and, and anything. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think she just wants to make sure she's healthy and, you know, she should find out at some point here, hopefully before the start, you know, in the next month, whether she gets a medical red shirt from last year. And I think, I honestly believe that whatever that decision is, is going to put her mental side, put put a little bit mentally at ease because she'll know, like she'll know like, okay, whether I need to, I need, you know, whether she's going to redshirt this year, if she's not healthy by a certain time, you know, or if she gets that year, like, oh, that was a redshirt. Well, even if you come back, you know, mid season this year, you still have next year to go. So I think there's a lot that kind of plays into that. So finding out that information I think it'll be is is maybe almost the next step in her recovery, um, so that she can she can put her mind at ease, knowing whatever it is, whether it's like okay, well, I don't have that year back, I'm just gonna sit out this year because I don't feel ready, or I want the whole year. Um, you know, like we talked even after the interview, she's like, I've worked too hard for this, and I'm not gonna not gonna rush into something. You know, I want everything that I can get, everything that's possible out of my college career. I want to get, and at that. She didn't say this, but I took it as yeah, that means I'll sit out this whole year if it means I come back next year and get an entire season because, you know, there's after that, it's you're done. And I mean, I think she just loves being a part of this program and and wants to have that opportunity to show what she's capable of for as much and as long as, as possible. So. so. So you get the sense that if she does, if she is granted the medical redshirt, that there is a very real possibility that she'll redshirt the, this entire season and just come back. <laughs> No, if she gets the medical redshirt, I think she'll she'll play at some point this year, and okay. she'll, be, she she'll does, be confident because I see. Even if she comes back in January for a Pac-12, and that's when she feels comfortable. She's it's almost like, well, okay. I'm finishing up the last part of last year. I still have a senior year to go. But okay. if she doesn't get that medical redshirt and she's not ready to go until January, is is it worth playing 18, 20 games and being done, or is it, you know, that's what you have to kind of way like if you want a whole year she needs to be ready to go in november and if she's not and she doesn't get that year you know it depends on how the longer it takes her to be ready then the the more likelihood i think for her to sit out the whole year and just take this as a red shirt and then come back next season as a senior but if she gets the medical red shirt then she can come and play even the last half of the season and not miss her not miss anything you know of her eligibility really um, that way, you know, she played half a, or, you know, 13 games last year and she finishes up with 17, 18 this year, you know, then it's like, Oh, that's, that's just one season. I think she'd be okay with that. You know, the NCAA, that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it does. But it, it, the thing that doesn't make sense, it continually doesn't make sense is that it, it, a lot of things about the NCAA don't make sense. But one <laughs> of the things is the, is the medical redshirt process because it feels like at times, you can hear pretty quickly the you know the results and if you get it or not. Nathan Eldridge, that was a long time ago that we all learned he was getting that sixth year. But you know, with Cat Tudor, she's still waiting. We don't know when we're going to find that out. It could be any time. It might be a while. You look at the football team. I know that they put in for a sixth year for Jordan Whitley. I know that they're still waiting to know if they're going to have Jordan Whitley back for the 2020 season or not. It's it seems to me that there has to be a better way for the NCAA. And I know the NCAA has a lot on its plate right now. 
But this medical redshirt thing, it, I, I feel like it needs to maybe be either a quicker turnaround or like a streamlined turnaround because you really don't want to have kids guessing and programs guessing and not knowing. It seems like there's got to be a better way to do this, right? Yeah, I mean, you think about, uh, I forget her name, the Utah women's player who tore her ACL at the same time, was a senior. She just found out she's back for another year, which she didn't find that out until, like, right before, you know, the season, you know, they're going to start practice and stuff. So even, even like, the school coach is like, I don't know if we have, oh, we get her back. Oh, yay. Like, wait, we planned to not have you and bring somebody else in and stuff. And so you're right. I, I don't know. I mean, I. I don't know. And I think that there's some easy things like if you've got a, I mean, you know, it takes about a year is what people say for an ACL and everybody's different. And you're, you know, you, you made a good point. Now you recover faster because you've got, you know, quality people that, I mean, these, these athletes are getting, you know, top notch people to work with them. They're getting around the clock training, you know, and rehab and stuff with, you know, I know Jason's been working with, with cat and stuff and everything and doing those things. And, and so you're constantly getting that rehab, daily and you know you're and you're right there so you can recover faster but i'm just thinking like i get it that you pass the the threshold of the 30 percent of your season well this is a player that's never redshirted so i just think it should be an automatic thing and you have a not just a season ending injury but a I may not be ready for the start of next season injury why would you want a player to try and force themselves to rush back and not be ready to go because they're going to lose out you know, on, on some time. And so like, I want to play this whole year, you know, and, and then not have that happen. And, and, and I just think that's frustrating, you know, from, from a, from a student athlete perspective, because you don't know, I mean, we, we tend to forget. I mean, we just look at stuff as we kind of, I mean, a lot of people just go, oh, yeah, you get your four years, you just, man, this is their life. This is, this is four years of their life. They're never going to get it back. This is their one opportunity to do it. And, I mean, barring some, like, if she just broke her hand, well, no, you don't get a medical redshirt. You just sit out, and it was, you know, you, you lose out. Life sucks sometimes, you know. It's not fair. But when you have something that's going to take you nine, ten months to recover from, and you're not going to be fully recovered, likely, until after the start of your next season, why wouldn't you just give that? Especially when it's so early in the year. I mean, it was you're talking a threshold of, oh, okay, you know. And if you if you throw in the NCAA tournament, it may not have been 30%. I don't know. I haven't done the numbers on it, but you're right. I mean, something needs to happen, and this should be it, – it, it, to me, is a no-brainer. We, If you want to talk about what's best for student-athletes and their welfare, well, then giving her the medical redshirt and saying, come back at some point. Maybe you say, like, you can't come back until this time then. We give you this medical redshirt, and then you can't come back until this one year time frame so maybe she couldn't come back until there those are your options i mean you could look at some different things like that where then the athletes can say that's the decision i want to make i want to say well no i want to come back earlier because i'll be ready i don't want to have to sit out this and i'll just do it you know and so yeah you're right something needs to be changed there's a lot of stuff with the ncaa that needs to be changed i don't understand how it operates with all of these things and transfers and why is Justin Fields immediately eligible to play at Ohio <laughs> state when he just left? Cause he got beat out. I mean, I don't care. Come on. You can make up whatever little excuse, but if you can't read through the baloney, you know, that, that these people are putting in here and their, their reasons for this. And you got some kid that wants to move closer to a sick grandparent. Oh, you have to sit out the year. Cause you're no, you're a nobody. I, I just think there's so much wrong with that. And, you know, I just think it's, I mean, to totally jump the, 
the the topic here, you know, with the California law, with the licensing, imaging, and stuff. Like, I mean, I'm not 100% for that because one one state makes that. But at the same time, NCAA, you've had an opportunity to do stuff, and you drag your heels, and you just to show you don't care. Well, it's about time people started to really speak out against, you know, the the the, the inconsistency that the organization seems to have. And, and it's just like, how can you not allow a kid to experience as much and as much positive as possible in a four year span, especially one that you've got five years to play. So just, okay. She missed two thirds of the season, you know, not 70%, but 65%. Well, too bad for you. She hasn't redshirted yet. That's your redshirt year. It should be cut and dried in my book. Steve, I couldn't agree more. I think I'll go ahead and forward this conversation to uh, NCAA President Mark Emmer. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, I'm sure he would love to hear from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah, I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good spot to uh, go ahead and wrap things up today. So, as always, Steve, thanks so much uh, for returning to the Beaver Buzz Podcast. I'll be, uh, I'll be there with you in spirit Saturday at the Research Stadium press box. All right, sounds good. Look forward to the next time we get to do this. Uh, yeah, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it once more uh, before football season's over. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Well, I'm going to take one last break, everyone, and I'll be back uh, to wrap up the show. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. I think Steve wanted to go down uh, the California Bill rabbit hole, but uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm just not sure that I'm ready to uh, to kind of break that all down on a pod yet. Maybe sometime in the near future, because I, I'm definitely still formulating kind of all, all my thoughts on that very very complicated issue. The one thing that I will definitely say is that I I've just I've never understood um, why athletes can't profit off their likeness. I mean, to me that that to me that is just a no brainer. But uh, I I don't really want to go any further than that right now because that is one complicated issue that there are certainly a lot of strong opinions on both sides. Thanks uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in uh, to this week's Beaver Buzz podcast. I'll be back sometime next week uh, with another episode to kind of recap the Utah game. Really am fascinated to uh, to see how this one plays out. The Utes offense uh, is not that scary, but the defense certainly is. So I, I really want to see how uh, Jake Luton and company are able to move the ball against Utah. I think if the Beavers can get to 30 points, um, that they've got a very good chance to win. But that's going to be a, a tall task against the Utes. We'll uh, we'll see how that all shakes out then at, uh, at Research Stadium. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and uh, enjoy the game, everybody.